Welcome to the B2B Strategy Podcast, your roundtable of B2B strategists guiding you in every decision you make in growing your business. Today, we'll be talking to James Carberry. James is the founder of Sweetfish, a B2B podcast agency, the host of the B2B Growth Podcast, and the author of Content-Based Networking. This is the third consecutive episode of interviewing someone from his company, Sweetfish. Why? The reason is very simple. They've conducted hundreds of interviews with the best B2B marketers on their podcast. Because of that, they have a deep understanding of B2B strategy that you can't find anywhere else. In this episode, we'll be diving deep into content-based networking and how James has used the strategy to skyrocket his agency's growth. It's not what you know, it's who you know. It's a pretty well-known cliche in the business world. I think for the most part, it's an accepted piece of advice that networking is important. But the problem isn't the idea, but rather the actual practice of it, applying that advice. So many questions come up. How can we do networking that doesn't take so much of our time? How do we build relationships with people that have no idea who we are? How do we do it in a genuine way without feeling salesy? James, what is content-based networking and how does it solve these common problems with traditional networking? So content-based networking is essentially using content collaborations as a way of building friendships with people. And so the, the traditional networking of going to these events where people that you actually want to do business with or potentially have some sort of partnership with, you don't know whether they're going to be at those events or not. And so it's a little bit of a crapshoot, at least in my experience, it was. Oftentimes, the folks showing up to those events uh, are not the kind of people that you actually want to connect with. And so you've got to be more intentional with who you're trying to build these relationships with. And, and when you are reaching out to somebody who has no idea who you are and you have no reason to reach out to them, uh, the, the default assumption is, well, this person's reaching out to me because they're trying to sell me something. And so uh, we have been conditioned to be able to sniff that out from a mile away uh, and we just don't respond. And so uh, we figured out that what we call content-based networking is essentially just asking someone to create content with them. Uh, and when you do that, it's uh, it, it breaks down that wall and actually allows you to be able to connect with people and gives you a reason uh, to reach out to people. And so the more research you can do on the front of that, um, the more uh, the more reasons you would be able to, to give them for, hey, this is actually why I want to create content with you. I saw that you did this, this, and this. Uh, I saw that you've been able to drive these kind of results. Um, and I would love to create a piece of content with you. It, uh, it tends to work. And so uh, we've built our business on the back of it and uh, have seen a lot of other people do the same. So before I, I, you've written a whole book on it, but before we go into, into the book, you, got, you have used this strategy with Sweetfish um, to build Sweetfish. Yeah. Could you tell me a little bit how you, how you guys did that? Yeah, so with, with Sweetfish, we started as a blog writing agency in 2015 and pivoted into podcasting in 2016. Um, because I had had a personal podcast with a buddy of mine and realized that anybody that we asked to be a guest on this podcast said yes. And these were people that had no business. We had no business talking to. They had no reason to want to talk to us, but they were really influential people and doing really cool things. And, um, and because we had a show uh, and we asked them to be on it, we're, we're now magically friends with these people. And so I, I saw an opportunity uh, in the B2B space for this to apply uh, for, you know, for, to build relationships with people that could potentially represent six or seven figure deal sizes. And, uh, nobody in B2B was talking about it. So, uh, we started doing it back then. And, uh, I initially thought that it was going to be, uh, sales leaders that were attracted to this strategy. So 
if you go back to the first like 150 episodes of B2B growth, uh, I was just interviewing VPs of sales because I was convinced that uh, the VP of sales would be the person that would bring us in. You know, it just goes to show how little I knew about the B2B space uh, because after, you know, it took me, I'm hard headed. So it took me 150 conversations to figure out that I should actually be talking to the VP of marketing, not the VP of sales. I heard one too many VPs of sales say, oh yeah, you should, you should talk about what you guys do to my marketing counterpart. So you hear that enough and you're like, okay, I'll, I'll switch strategies. And, uh, and, and sure enough, it worked when we started interviewing VPs of marketing and they would find out what what we do, uh, you know, we would build interest and then, uh, you know, go through the sales process. And at the time we were the only kind of the only game in town doing it. So, um, so it was, uh, you know, it was pretty, pretty straightforward and we were able to build a really good business on the back of it. So in the book, you talk a bit about the, the spotlight effect. So I know your thoughts have changed on this topic, um, since you wrote the book four years ago. Maybe you could describe what the spotlight effect is and, and maybe, you know, how you're thinking about that concept has, has changed over the years. Yeah. So, so when we, when we first started the business and, and the podcast that we were producing were specific, were, were aimed at a very specific result, which was, uh, you know, building relationships with prospective clients, um, on behalf of, of our clients. So the, the shows were not designed to be, you know, any particular market's favorite show. There wasn't a lot of thought put into uh, how good the content was. It was really, is this show allowing you to connect with people that you want to connect with uh, in a one-to-one relation, like via one-to-one relationship uh, with specifically with your guests? I really, I think I've, I said publicly multiple times, I don't, I don't care at all if the show has any sort of an audience whatsoever. And, uh, and, and that, I, I think if I went back in time, I would probably still say the same thing because at the time, um, it, it was really effective. And what happened was as time went on and people started to get wise to the fact that podcasts were really effective at actually engaging an audience and building a community, uh, lots of other agencies started popping in and lots of companies started wanting to, to produce a show. And so over the years, we realized that um, what we what we had built was really a commodity content shop, and we now villainize commodity content. But the reality was we were we were a big creator of it, um, and so a lot of the content we were creating was was very templatized, um, and it was kind of like a factory of of just you know it doesn't matter whether it's good, it doesn't matter whether the point of view is differentiated, uh, you know, or the strategic narrative is strong. Um, it just talk to the people that you want to talk to, have a conversation about whatever they want to talk about, and it'll be fine. Uh, and uh, as as more and more competitors stepped into the space, we realized that that, um, that was no longer going to be effective for us. And so, uh, and it didn't actually serve uh, our clients long-term very well either. Um, and so when when we shifted our approach about a year and a half ago, to saying, hey, we want to build shows that can become your market's favorite show uh, and build affinity for both you and, and your company with your market. Um, that's that's a much more long-term win and it's there's scale to it, right? Because um, you can build affinity with, uh, you can create one piece of content and build affinity with thousands of people as opposed to the, the more one-to-one approach is just limited. And so if the content sucks, 
sure you can build affinity with that one guest that you brought on, but it stops at that one guest because nobody else wants to listen to your show. Um, cause it's just frankly not very good. It's very disjointed. Every guest has a different point of view. It's not connected to your point of view. Um, and it's, it, it can be harder to make those shows work. Now, I think there's, there's ways to do interview shows. Well, um, I don't think a lot of people are willing to put in the preparation required to actually do an interview show well. And so we've changed our tune a bit now and we say, Hey, um, maybe you sprinkle in an interview every now and then. Um, when it really makes sense, if it's a particular voice that your audience really wants to hear from and, and has uh, has an affinity toward. But um, we like to say that, you know, if it, you're you're sacrificing your own thought leadership and the affinity that, that you personally can build with an audience by handing over the microphone to a guest in every single episode, um, as opposed to putting yourself in that seat and really um, having the audience be drawn, be drawn more to you. And, and the, the story here with B2B growth, we were probably three or four years in and, and we were getting about a thousand downloads an episode. And I started doing these behind the curtain series where I was just talking about our business, the behind the scenes of our business, what we were doing, that was working, what wasn't working. And immediately noticed that we went from like a thousand downloads an episode to like 2,500 or 3000 downloads an episode. And it was a stark difference because we titled the ep- we titled the episodes differently. So when it was an interview, we titled it one way. When it was just me doing behind the curtain episode, it was titled a different way. So when I went back and looked at the analytics, all of the behind the curtain episodes were just had a spike in downloads. And so it just made me realize that audiences are are hungry for um, for for you. <laughs> they don't necessarily care as much about your guests as as they do about you like you're likely the reason that they signed up to listen uh, to your content in the first place. But I think we sacrifice a lot of that by handing it over to our guest uh, when when the, when the show's sole focus is um, interviewing guests. Right. So my first thought of that is if I invite someone onto my podcast and if I end up speaking a lot, is that going could that have a bad almost bad feeling with them you know i invited them to be a guest on this on this episode and if i end up talking all the time you know they don't really feel all that special because i i felt oh i almost made it about me and not them is that is that a possible yeah i definitely don't think that the strategy should be invite guests and then do all the talking i think it looks more like not inviting guests at all um and and carrying carrying the weight with yourself and and I really like having a co-host personally I think the conversation flows a lot more when you've got a regular uh a regular co-host and you can uh it's a lot more fun to prep for episodes when you're doing it with somebody as opposed to by yourself at least that's been the case for me um but I think you can do interviews uh well when the host has a when the person you're interviewing um you genuinely connect with a particular part of their point of view or something that they believe you resonate with it deeply. So one of the hosts on B2B growth, Benji does this really, really well. Um, he started to, you know, we used to say, Hey, just go get any VP of marketing at a company with, you know, 500 to 1200 employees and get them on B2B growth. And when that's the qualification for who you're getting to be on the show, 
uh, it gets really hard because a lot of those UPs of marketing, they're either, they don't have a very public voice. And so it's hard to do research on like, okay, what does this person actually believe? Um, I'm getting them on the show because I want to build a relationship with them, but I don't really know how to guide the conversation in a way that that brings them to life. And, and I don't know how to talk about things that they're really passionate about and that I'm also passionate about because uh, they don't have a very public persona. And so uh, it can it can be really challenging. But when you shift your guest strategy to, hey, I'm going to go after people that I know my audience is already engaging with. Um, and, uh, and I'm only going to talk to people where I know I can be a passionate contributor to the conversation. So it ends up not being, you know, guests talking 90% of the time. It's more like guest and host are talking about 50% of the time because there's energy coming from the host side and from the guest side, if you've done it well, now that obviously that, that ends up being you talking to a bunch of influencers. And I used to very much poo poo on that because influencers are typically not the buyer of your product. But again, we've kind of evolved our thinking from the guest is who you're trying to do business with and transact with to um, the audience being ultimately, you know, the people that uh, you want to eventually buy from you. And, and so if you build affinity with that audience uh, over, over time, uh, the idea is that it's going to create a lot of demand for your product or service longer term. Um, so it's a, it's a longer term play than, uh, than content-based networking, but I think it's ultimately more strategic and, and more valuable in the long game. So this was actually very similar to what we were talking about on the last episode with Logan Lyles, who worked at Sweetfish with you for several years, yep. uh, talking about nearbound marketing and how inbound marketing is, you know, with the magnet, you're pulling, you know, you're pulling instead of pushing. But yep. nearbound marketing is where you, you have multiple magnets because you're creating the content with your ecosystem, with the people that are trusted, the trusted figures in, in whatever niche you have. Um, yep. And you're creating content with them to gain the trust of their audience and your audience. And that, you know, combined trust um, creates a stronger magnet to and end up getting them to, to buy from yep. you. So I'm guessing that's, yeah, that's... I, I've talked with I've talked with Logan a little bit about this. The challenge, I think, with that they're going to find with or run into with Nearbound is finding the right partners that have that have enough in common to have kind of a shared narrative. I think you certainly can do it for us at Sweetfish. It's audience plus they've got a very aligned narrative with our narrative um, in that they're a technology platform that's basically saying, Hey, we can deliver a Netflix type experience uh, on your website. Uh, and, and so uh, it makes a lot of sense for us to uh, go after accounts together because we are the the media team that can actually create the media and they're the technology platform that where you can house that media in a really clean and and friendly way but aside from them I'm like trying to think of who who is who else is in the space that that were like-minded enough with the narrative that we have that you could really partner up and and uh, and do some really compelling stuff with, and I think it's possible, but it's it's uh, it's just something you've gotta you've really gotta put that thought into it um, if if that's going to be core to your strategy because I I see that being a challenge for a lot of companies. It's it's hard enough to get people on your in your own company aligned on the narrative, and so when you start trying to align your narrative with people in companies that aren't even yours, uh, I just foresee that being you know uh, uh, tough to pull off, but. Um, 
but not impossible at all. I think when, I think if, if you can find the right partners, I think nearbound is a fantastic approach to this stuff and a, and a great evolution of inbound, honestly. Would it be better to go 100% only inviting people to kind of have a nearbound strategy and not invite ideal clients onto your show? Or does it kind of depend on, on different things? Yeah, I, th- I think it would depend. I, I would probably try to think about it like, uh, like content franchises. And I would, ha- I would probably have a content franchise with a compelling premise, a compelling format that, uh, that, Im- that could involve both. So uh, this content franchise, we focus on talking to people in the market. So they are decision makers in the market that you could actually transact and do business with, but the format would probably look a little bit different. What you would talk to them about might need to look a little bit different as opposed to when you're talking to an influencer in the space that has probably done more work developing a point of view and developing really more clear thoughts on where they think the space is going or uh, something that's broken in the space that they think they've got a, a, a handle on how to fix. Um, and so it's, it's different because, but, but when you, if you try to interview both of those types of people in the same way, uh, it, the same, the same format, the same premise, uh, I, I think that's really where it goes awry. Um, and so it just, it, it comes down to like, you look at how, um, you look at how media companies do this, right? Like there's their ABC has their, uh, they have soap operas on during the day because they know the audience watching is, you know, a particular demographic, but then their seven to 9 PM block of shows are geared toward a very different type of audience. And then their nine o'clock to 11 o'clock run of shows are geared toward even an even different type of audience. And so the format of each of those shows changes, um, and, and I think we've got to adapt to that same type of thinking into B2B media as well. Okay. And do you think that now, as you said, you're, you're thinking about this has kind of changed over the years and now you're suggesting more of a nearbound approach, collaborating with other creators uh, or audiences. Um, yeah. Do you think that the possible reasoning behind that is because as your own audience grew, it's a lot easier to, to collaborate with others because from my from my thinking is that when you're just starting out with a show, it's a lot harder to get someone that already has an audience. If you like, let's say you don't have an audience and you're creating an audience with someone, um, they might not be as likely to come onto your show as perhaps an ideal client. Um, yeah. Where perhaps it's easier for someone for a company that's just starting a, a podcast um, to think that way. Yeah, I, I think when you're first starting out, and we're we're still in the midst of um, trying to reorient our clients around this way of thinking. But I think when you're first starting out, uh, one, you're spot on that it's really hard to get other people to want to collaborate with you if the show is brand new. One, you're probably not going to be that good of a host at the beginning if you've never done it before. Like it's it's a skill like the, like any other skill, and so um, it takes time and it takes reps to get good at it. And so um, you almost want to. I think you should be trying to create uh, as much content with just like you and a co-host. Solo episodes can work for some types of personalities. I listen to some shows where it's just a single talking head and it's great. I think you got to have a certain type of talent to be able to pull that off. But I would try to do the first 10, 15, maybe even 25 episodes 
just between you and co-hosts, getting comfortable with uh, the, the subject matter that you're covering, how you want to cover it, what resonates, what doesn't in terms of the clips that you repurpose on social. You can learn so much across those first several episodes and you start to build a reputation so that you, you've got a bank of content that when you go and ask somebody to, to be on your show, they can go and see a library of content that hopefully, you know, if, you know, hopefully has gotten better and, and is good. And so they feel comfortable going, yeah, I want to be a part of that. And hopefully you've started to, you started to build the foundation of some semblance of an audience that they would be interested in getting in front of. And in, in your book, along, along with the blog on Sweetfish and other, you know, evangelists from Sweetfish have talked a lot about the benefits of being able to conduct original research um, from yes. interviewing so many people in your industry, getting so many different perspectives on things. Um, you can kind of understand very clearly how things are working, how the, the trends that are going on. Um, yeah. how, how does someone create a plan um, behind you know, conducting original research to get the insights that they can later on share with their own audience. Yeah. So we've, we've only effectively done this once. I think we bit off way more than we could chew whenever we did it, but we basically said, we want to go to a hundred people that we've had on B2B growth in the past. I think we're over 3000 episodes at this point. So coming up with a hundred wasn't tough to do. But we, we wanted to reach out, do another episode with them on B2B Growth. And during the pre-interview, um, we had a list of, I think it was 10 questions that we asked. So we just hit record, asked the 10 questions, and then we had a team of uh, virtual assistants basically chop up their answers and organize the answers by question. And then what we what we did is we went and we did an episode on each one so we had somebody listen to all of the all 100 answers again it, i mean this took forever um i think you could do it with a much smaller sample size than 100 but we went through and we had somebody listen to so question one was you know what's a commonly held belief about b2b marketing that you passionately disagree with and we would have somebody listen to 100 answers and come up with maybe four or five key themes from those 100 responses. You could do this with, uh, you could like transcribe the responses and analyze it via written word, or you could do it, you know, via audio, whatever would be easier for the person who's making, who's doing that analysis for you. I also think it takes a, a, a different type of skill to be able to do that analysis. I was not very good at it. Like when I would listen to those 100 responses, um, I don't feel like I was able to really come up with any really great insights from listening to it. But a guy named Timmy, who was on our team at the time, was able to listen and go, oh, yeah, these four or five things were my takeaways after listening to that or consuming those hundred answers. So having the right talent in that in that part of the process, I think, is really important. And then we just we would do an episode on those four or five takeaways where our co-host team, I think it was Dan, myself, and I can't remember if Benji was on was co-hosting the show at that point or not. I think he was. We we would basically just riff on what that that one specific question. So we ended up getting 10 episodes out of that piece of content. We didn't get as much juice from that squeeze as we could have. We could have turned that into a report that we then you know, we could have put it behind a gate. We could have not gated it. Um, there are there are a lot more things that we could have done with that research. But 
if you're already interviewing guests on your show, I think you're missing a massive opportunity to not do original research by just coming up with a set of, maybe you don't even need 10 questions. Maybe it's three questions and asking those during the pre-interview. It could even be a part of your show. It could be like a rapid style thing that you do as a closing segment of the show. Um, and, uh, and so the, yeah, that's, that's where I think the opportunity is for original research. You look at folks like Gong who have, who have done this, you know, they're, they're actually pulling data from the use of their tool, which is super smart. And so they're getting data at scale and they've got an entire team of people that analyze that data and help them develop insights with like when you should, you know, when, when you should not say the F word in a sales conversation versus when you should, like they're, they're coming out with all this crazy research. Um, but you look at that and that, that content, you know, it, it ranks really well in Google. Uh, it's the kind of stuff that people share. Uh, it, it can be repurposed like crazy. You can turn it into social clips. It can become podcast content. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of original research. We should be doing more of it at Sweetfish. But again, like everything, it, you know, it, it takes time and you got to dedicate resources to it. Yeah. I think it was something that Chris Walker had said. Um, I think my one one of probably many people saying it but with ai coming out and so much commodity content coming as a result of it the only way to really stand out and position yourself as an expert in the industry is to have insights so whatever can allow you to have that data and insights is going to uh, be key in any kind of inbound strategy so agreed that's definitely agreed and, and it is not an easy skill. I don't, that, I think I made the mistake of thinking anybody could do it. I was like, oh, of course, of course I can do it. Um, and uh, who knows, maybe there, <laughs> I, I don't know of any AI that helps you develop insights, but uh, I'm, I'm sure it's coming with, with as quick as this stuff is moving. But, uh, but I think he's spot on there. I, I think that is still uh, a very unique way that marketers can add value um, is, use AI to take care of all of the, like the, the organizing and the, you know, all of the, the, the core stuff that has to happen for you to be able to get to the part where you develop an insight. But uh, at least right now, I think it's, I think it needs to be the marketer's job to, to critically think and to develop those insights. I hope this episode helped you understand how you can use content-based networking to create relationships with ideal clients as well as other trusted creators in your niche's ecosystem to build more affinity with your audience. A big shout out to James for joining me today. If you're looking to create a podcast for your B2B company, definitely check out Sweetfish. Hope to see you all next episode.